at the first of the year, I introduced a three-word theme that God had been working into my heart for 2023. Three words, here it is. Share his story. Share his story. Uh, God just continues to remind me of the importance of story and the power of testimony and the, the need of believers to share his activity with others. And I said it earlier this year, let me state it again, God did not enter our story, we entered his. And his is a story that began in eternity past, and it is unfolding individually and locally and globally to this very day. So when I talk to people about sharing God's story, they often make a connection back to evangelism or maybe a gospel presentation, sometimes even sharing their own personal testimony of how God saved them. And all of that is definitely a part of God's big story. But here it is. It doesn't end there. there there's two main pieces that we need to constantly share with others. That is the story of God's work in the gospel, what he did to redeem us, and the story of God's work in our lives, what he is doing in order to restore us. Both parts are essential in sharing God's story. So when we tell people what God has done for us, it doesn't end with, and that's how God saved me. It continues with, and here's how God is actively at work in my life right now. It, it includes what God did and what God is doing, where he found us, as well as how he is leading us right now in this moment in real time. We need to share both. So when we begin to share what God is doing in our life right now, it opens up gospel conversations, not only with other believers, which we need those, but it opens up gospel conversations with people who do not yet know Christ. Those stories are absolutely essential because it helps people make a connection between the God they're hearing about and how that God is actively at work in the lives of his followers. But there's another important piece that we need to bring out at this moment. When we are actively thinking about sharing the stories of what God is doing in our life, it encourages every believer to not only ask, but to also answer a critically important question of the faith. Here it is. How am I experiencing God in my life today? Today, how am I experiencing God in my life today? And when we're asked that question, hear me, our answer needs to be Ziploc fresh. It doesn't need to be a warmed up story from five years ago. It doesn't need to be a story from 20 years ago. And it's not that those stories are not good and they're not important, but the issue is an abiding relationship with Jesus Christ will provide up to the moment current examples of his faithfulness right now. So when somebody asks, like, how is God at work in your life? We should be able to say, this is what God is doing in my prayer life right now. This is how God is making himself known in my marriage and in my family. This is what God is working out in my character. These are answers that he is bringing about in my life. This is what he's doing for my kids. This is how he is working in my current work situation. We should be able to quickly testify and say, this is how God is at work in my life. Not only what he did, but also what he's doing. So, I'm going to encourage you all within the next couple of weeks 
maybe the next couple of months for some of you. I know you're busy, but I'm going to encourage you. Go back and listen to that three-part series that happened at the first part of the year. The series, three parts, share his story. And the reason I want to encourage people to go back and to listen to that again is because we not only gave different examples, but also context and application for the truths that we're going to be unpacking today. Now bring that to a pause and let's connect it back over to our current series. Right now, we are finishing out the last message in our series, It's Only God. I hope that you heard through the worship set today, it was not focused on us, it's focused on him. That, that's the testimony. Our testimony is always, it's what God has done, what God has done, what God has done. If in giving our testimony, we make ourselves the hero of the story, that's not a gospel-centered testimony. It's always going to be about him. So we have been studying in this series, It's Only God. We've been studying what's been referred to as God moments or divine encounters. And we've been seeing what's required to live at the intersection of God's presence and God's activity as well as God's favor. And to understand what it looks like to live at that intersection, we have loosely followed five pieces that either precede or accompany revival. I don't know if you all have picked up on the theme that we've had so far, but here's the five pieces. Burden, prayer, repentance, Holy Spirit, testimony. Those five pieces. Now, here's the way they work together. With burden, God begins to open the eyes of believers to see the state of the church and often how it is not making an impact in the world that's around us. There, there's a growing concern that believers will have in the burden stage because often they will find that sin is just as rampant in the church as it is outside the church. They begin to get burdened and concerned because the word of God is not being proclaimed and lifted up. They're, they're burdened because the gospel witness has been tamed down. They're, they're burdened because they're reading something in scripture and then they're living something else in their life and they're saying these two things are not consistent. And there is a growing burden that begins to happen in God's people. And when that burden gets to, to moving us and it, it's what we go to bed with at night, it's what we wake up with in the morning, here's what happens. We go in search of answers, which often means it goes back into God's word. We go back to God in prayer. As we go to God in his word and in prayer, God is faithful to answer. His word reveals his will. And oftentimes we get into the word and we begin to see that he pinpoints areas that we've gotten off track with him and that we've pursued an agenda that is not his agenda. And then in prayer, the Holy Spirit begins to reveal sin and distractions. And in the revelation of those things, there's conviction the Spirit of God brings to our heart. Now, here's what happens when God begins to convict a believer. Listen, when God begins to convict a believer, one of two things is about to happen. They will either repent and get right with God, or they will resist and they will become so miserable nobody can live with them. One of those two things is going to happen. When God clearly shows us these are the areas that are getting in the way, and a person says, I'm not okay with that. I'm not going to deal with it. I'm not going to address it. Watch the person's life begin to move inward and crumble, and they're burdened, and every part around them begins to spiral out of control. You will see it again and again. So here's the thing. When God brings conviction, 
it is not for the purpose of condemnation. He brings conviction to show us areas of sin, or listen, even good things that are getting in the way of running the race effectively. And we, we need to be clear on this. There can be good things that get in the way of us running the race effectively. So I, I don't know if you all know this or not, but there are no rules that say a sprinter cannot wear a rain jacket and galoshes when they compete. They just won't win. There's nothing that says they can't wear a three-piece suit and some gaita shoes, but they're not going to win. Here's what Scripture tells us, 1 Corinthians 9, 24. Run in such a way that you may win. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 says, Let us lay aside every encumbrance and sin. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. We are called to lay aside anything, even if it's a good thing, if it's interfering with running the race effectively. So when the Holy Spirit begins to prompt us of sin, we're to repent of it. When the Holy Spirit begins to bring issues to mind, even good that says it's getting in the way of running this race, we are to forsake and to release it. And here's what happens. When believers are taking those steps, repenting, releasing, walking in obedience, when that happens, here's what they see. Their lives get realigned with what the Holy Spirit is doing in that moment. And the manifest presence of God is seen more and more in that person's life. So here's the sequence. Burden moves to prayer. Prayer moves to repentance. Repentance realigns a person with the Holy Spirit and what he's doing. And in the realignment, the person finds himself once again at the intersection of God's presence, God's activity, and God's favor. But here's the last part. When you're there and you're seeing what God's doing, here's the final piece. We're called to testify. We're called to tell others what God is doing in our life. We're called to share that with others. So I want us to wrap up our series, It's Only God, by studying how God uses testimony to advance the gospel mission around the world. Do not ever underestimate what God can do when we testify of him. I invite you to go with me in your Bibles today to the book of Psalms, chapter 66. Psalm 66 will be in verse number 16. I am speaking this morning on the topic as we share his story, as we share his story. Psalm 66, verse 16, it simply says, Come and hear all who fear God, and I will tell you what he has done for my soul. Here it is again. Come and hear all who fear God, and I will tell of what he has done for my soul. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to see the importance of not only remembering and recounting your faithfulness in our life, but sharing those moments with others, God. May we be up-to-date, current, fresh when it comes to our testimony of you. In Jesus' name, amen. So Psalm 66 can be broken down into three major sections of praise. Uh, first, there is universal praise that celebrates God's great acts in all the earth. You find this in verses 1 through 7. 
The emphasis here, if you go back and read through that, would be this idea. Let the world rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let all who have breath praise him. The idea is universal praise. It doesn't matter if you're talking about creation or you're talking about people, if you're talking about saved, if you're talking about lost. As a part of God's creation, we all have opportunity to praise and to thank him. Second, there is communal praise that reflects on God's work among his people. This is found in verses 8 through 12. Now, this is primarily referring to Israel, the covenant people of God. But there is a lesson for the broader context of believers, and that is, as covenant people, we've been brought in through the blood of Christ. We're tested. We are refined. Many times, the the road is not going to be easy, but based on what we find in those verses, it tells us that God keeps us in life, does not allow our feet to slip, and he brings us out into a place of abundance. What a beautiful story and description of what it looks like to walk with God. Now, that is going to be true of every believer, but it's also true of what God does locally within a group of believers. I'm going to come back to that and illustrate it in just a moment. Now, the third area of praise is there is personal praise that recounts God's work in individual lives. We see this over in verses 13 through 20. If you'll go back and study this, notice how the wording shifts from us in our, and found in verses 8 through 12, to I and my, found in verses 13 through 20. Everything at this point becomes very personal. The entire focus is, this is what God has done for me. Yes, all of creation should praise him. Yes, there's something that happens in the community of believers, but I'm going to testify personally. This is how he redeemed me. This is how he answered my prayers. This is what he has done in my life. It's all very personal. Now, all three parts are critical when telling the story of God. God should be praised universally by his creation. God also should be praised communally among his people. Now, let's, let's pause here. I want to pull that out for just a moment. When I talk about praise communally among his people, think of what it looks like right here at Sherwood for those who have been a part of this church for a while. There is going to be a part of our praise together that not only would an unbelieving world not know, but also even other believers will not fully understand. Because it happened here as a group. We saw it. Like, we've seen God save people in this room. We've seen God heal people in those hallways. We've seen God restore relationships right here. We've seen God answer prayers and God bring in resources and open doors. There's a part of what God has done, his story right here locally, that we've gotten a chance to see together and it impacts our praise and it also impacts our story. That same idea should help bring about an awareness of the fact that God is at work in all these different places, but everybody, even other believers, will not fully understand the story that God has done in your life. Now here's the final part of that. God should be praised individually for his work in our lives. So, What I mean by that is, for someone who doesn't know God, our individual stories of God's faithfulness will connect with things that they're often walking through. So, when we begin to testify, this is what God's doing in my life, 
and we share, this is the wisdom God gave me when I was in a challenging situation with my kids. Or we begin to say, this is how God gave me peace in the midst of death. Or we say things like, this is how God provided out of the middle of nowhere in a way that meant something to my family. When we give those types of stories, that's not somebody else out there that the individual doesn't know. That's somebody up close and personal that they do know. And their story now impacts that other person. It has universal connection because it touches on universal needs. Now, Here's how powerful this one verse is. Verse 16 is beautifully simple and incredibly clear. Here's the four pieces you can break down fast. There's invitation. Come and hear. There's proclamation. And I will tell. There's exaltation. What he has done. And there's personalization. For my soul. You see how all the the key pieces of testimony are right there. Literally, that invitation side, come and listen to what God's doing. There's proclamation. I'm going to tell you. I will share a story with you. Then there is exaltation, what he has done. The emphasis is not on us. The emphasis is on him. And then if the person like, well, when did this happen? Who did it happen to? There's personalization. This is what he has done for my soul. The essence of testimony is found right there. Now, here it is. This is so good for me. When the conversation, whatever that might be with somebody, is moving in this direction, this is your transition mark so that you can simply give this one question. Are you open for me to tell you what God did for me? Okay, watch how this works out. It's so easy. This is where conversations begin to shift into gospel conversations. When somebody is going through something and they come to you and they say, here's what I'm walking through, what do you think? This is an opportunity for you to say, God help me in a similar place, would you mind if I tell you about it? You see how easy that is? That, that's, it's not pushy, it, it's not a canned presentation. Oh, by the way, it's not some radical shift from the conversation, like they're talking about children and bringing up kids and problems at home, and all of a sudden you're like, I hear you there, but can I give you a gospel presentation over here? That, that's the part that gives people whiplash. They're like, whoa, what just happened here? I, I thought we were talking about this, and you shifted. When we understand the gospel, when we're looking for those daily moments, We can take any conversation we're walking through in that moment and say, can I tell you what God has done for me? It directs the conversation back to him. So the word tell here, it is used of scoring with a mark, inscribing, recounting, and celebrating. When we tell people what God has done for our soul, we're basically saying, let the score reflect God's faithfulness in my life. God has been so good to me, I could inscribe it, I could carve it into something. When when I recount God's blessing and favor in my life, it makes me want to celebrate what he has done for me. All of that leads into our big truth for this morning. As we share God's story, we're challenged to be perpetual witnesses who intentionally recount what God did and what God's doing for us. Now, I know that's a mouthful, but every part of that is important. 
We are perpetual witnesses. We are called to keep on sharing, keep on testifying, continue to tell the stories of what God is doing. Now, we need to be intentional about this. We need to set reminders. We need to be good note keepers. We need to have us a little journal. We need to write down what it is that God is doing in our life. Um, it might even be that you take your phone and you set a reminder to go off every, t- every day at the same time and label that, label this question as a first part of, of that reminder. Label it is, that is, how am I experiencing God in my life today? Do something like that to remind yourself of these. The reason I say that is because it's so easy for us to just move on to the next thing and just stop thinking about what God is doing in our life. But those stories are powerful to help other people understand. When you ask the question, God, how am I experiencing you in my life today? When you ask that question, God is faithful to give you current examples. He he will quickly come through and say, this is what I'm working on in your character. Do you remember this answer to prayer I just gave you last week? Do do you see how I've changed your situation at work right now? Do you understand that I was still, like he will give you current, up-to-date examples of what that looks like. He brings fresh bread of new mercies every day in our life. And when God brings those moments to mind, Here's your follow-up prayer. Here it is. Very simple. It's in your notes as well. Lord, as I go through my day, please give me opportunities to tell others what you're doing for me. You see how easy that is? It is one, us praying and asking God to, to show us the ways he is at work. It's recounting those. It's remembering those. But then the next part of that is saying, God, would you give me opportunities in order to share this? Perpetual witnessing is sharing fresh stories in the midst of regular life. And that's what you find throughout Scripture. Throughout Scripture, you find people testifying at different parts of God's activity, but they testify in real time. It's this is what he's doing in my life right now. So I'm going to give you three quick New Testament examples of this. First, Part of Paul, the Apostle Paul's perpetual testimony, here's just a part of it. Jesus found me and completely changed my life. That's a part of his perpetual testimony. The original moment took place over in Acts chapter 9. If you'll remember, his name at that moment was Saul. He was a hater of people of the way. He was antagonistic towards believers. He was on the road to Damascus in order to carry out Uh, I guess, execution letters to make people in prison for the gospel. Some were even dying because of his, his influence there. And on this road to Damascus, Jesus stops him in his tracks and changes his life. That man goes from a persecutor of the church to a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ in a matter of days. But throughout Paul's letters you'll find that he keeps going back to that same story. He does it in Acts 22, Galatians 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and in other areas. His story, his testimony, is a powerful reminder that no one is beyond the reach of God's grace and love. No one. A part of the woman at the well's testimony was Jesus knows things about me that no one knows, and he was gracious anyway. 
That's a part of his, her story. The story appears over in John 4. She's a Samaritan woman. She's got questionable reputation. She encounters Jesus at the well. They enter into this conversation where he begins to tell her things about her life that no one knows. And listen, and he tells her things about him that he's not been sharing with others, that he's Messiah. It's this incredible conversation. It transformed this lady's life, and she goes on to be one of the strongest witnesses in her community. Hers is a story that is going to resonate with people. And the reason is there's a lot of people out there who are walking in sin, and they think nobody knows about it other than them. God knows. That sin is chipping away at their soul at their sense of self-worth, chipping away at their their self-image. And here's what a story like this, ladies, can do. It helps people see God not only knows the sin of our heart, he understands us deeply, and he came for us anyway. Her story is going to encourage people. Here's another one. Part of the blind man's testimony when asked about the character of Jesus was simply this, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. That was his testimony. His story appears over in John chapter 9. He's born blind. His options are limited. Jesus heals the man and changes his life forever. Now, for the person who they just went to a doctor's visit and they found difficult news, for the person who they're looking out in their future and they're saying, I don't have any hope. There's no future for me. This man's story is going to resonate with them because about that moment, he could raise his hand and say, not only is there hope in Jesus, but he can do in an instant what nobody else can do. That's the power of testimony. So I want to show you all a video. This is a video of a family right here in the church. And I want you all to hear from their own lips a part of their story of what God has done for them. Let's bring the video. My name is John LaGrange. I am a new creation in Christ. Uh, I am a testimony that old things have passed away and new things have come. I'm Virginia. Virginia. I did not grow up with a church background. Back. I am um, of a God, but I never heard the story of Jesus. Uh, my wife and I had both um, gotten to a place where we just could not figure life out. As um, career-minded people, um, doing the things that culture called us uh, to do, told us to do, uh, that would bring our uh, happiness. Now, we had gotten to a place where we, we could not even um, stand to be in each other's presence. And so uh, I was facing divorce. My pursuit um, at a really young age became how to make my life stable. By the time I was in my mid-20s, I was somewhat successful in a position that a lot of people retired in. I realized that I was empty. Um, and I couldn't figure out how to fill this void. I had met John. Um, we had... Um, started a life together, and all our pursuits, even together, um, were coming up empty. And um, everything had just lost its taste. Uh, Not knowing what else to do, uh, we agreed to get divorced. Knowing all the while that this could not be all there was to life. Just an incredible unsettledness and a yearning for truth and for a better life for our kids. There had to be something better. And so 
the one thought that came to my mind is I need to get my, my children in church. I had met a woman that I was working with um, in the financial industry, and we would um, partner together to go on long trips to meet with clients. And we would do this once a week where we'd sit in a car for about an hour um, each way, and she would bring her Bible. She would take what she read out of this book, and she would make decisions based on what she read. And she didn't know it at the time, but it blew my mind. And I couldn't understand how she would just get all her answers from a book. I needed to find out if Jesus was who he said he was. I told my wife, if we've got to go to every church in Las Vegas to find a preacher that preaches out of the Aramaic Bible, we're going to do that because that's the language Jesus spoke. And so April 4th, 2010 was that morning. It was a Sunday morning. It was Easter morning. And I just decided today's the day we're going to go to church. And um, my wife came to me and she said, I'll, I will go to every church in Las Vegas with you, John, because I know you will if you go to my friend Carrington's church first. So we ended up going to church together, um, went to my friend Carrington's church. When the preaching started, I had never heard the story of Jesus before. And I don't know what happened, but it was like I heard truth for the very first time. And I said, yes, I want more of that. The preacher literally was holding this ancient book in his hand, and I knew it wasn't the Bible. And as he did the introduction uh, to the day service, he said, I'm going to be doing something a little bit different today. I'm going to be teaching out of an ancient text called the Peshetta, the Bible translated from Aramaic. And when he said that, it's like time stopped. The only person that had known that request that was on my heart was my wife. There was no one else out of 8 billion people in the world that knew that request except my wife. So there only had to be one more person that knew that, and that had to be God himself, the one who had made me. And it was in that moment that I had such incredible clarity. It was as if I was meeting Jesus face to face so intimately in that moment. I can't describe it in words other than to say, God, if you knew that request of my heart that wasn't even a prayer to you, then then, then you've got the rest of my life. You know everything else about me and I am yours. If there's anything worth salvaging, I surrender my life to you today. And so we walked out of church and he told me that he had given his life to Jesus and I said, so did I. And so we ended up starting our life together um, anew, really with truth. Everything began to come together in ways that I, I still can't describe to this day other than We've been on this great journey and adventure, uh, living out the fullness that God promises. It just began this adventure of sharing Jesus with the people that were close to us. And then it started to get further out as we started to share more and more. And then to the point where John's taking it to the nations. And so we have been on this adventure ever since. We are new creations in Christ. The old man's dead, we get to live out the fullness that God has for us for the rest of eternity. That one video testimony was about more than just a salvation moment. That one video testimony, it speaks of God's faithfulness through his word. As Virginia was saying, this lady just sat down and she would open the scripture and she was allowing scripture to guide her life and that blew her mind that someone could do that. The idea of John praying and saying, God, if we go to every other place around, but I need to hear it in Aramaic, 
because of the fact that's the language Jesus spoke. And then coming and hearing that this is going to be this section out of Aramaic. Do you see how beautiful that story is? Listen, there's parts of their story that different people will pick up on because those are the pieces they need to hear from God in right now. But there's other parts of the story that when you hear it, you're like, that's what God can do. Here's the thing. God has those moments in each of our lives. And oftentimes the only people who even know about it might only be ourselves and like two or three people around us. But there is a testimony. There is a power that God brings through testifying of what he has done for us. So I want you to think about this as we close out. When you read the testimonies of people in Scripture, notice how God was the one who made the difference, and notice how varied these testimonies are. So here's what I mean. The poor widow in 2 Kings 4 had a miraculous story of God blessing her with oil when she and her son had nothing. If, if somebody were to say, can God see me in my need? Does God care about it? She would testify, God provided for me and my son when we had nothing left. That's a story the world needs to hear. Or Moses and the Hebrew people had a unique story of God's deliverance at the Red Sea. Here's their testimony. God made a way where there was no way. That's a story that our world still needs to hear. Jonah has a story every generation needs to hear because the lessons are powerful. Here's just a little bit of Jonah's story. Jonah learned in that moment when God calls you to go, obey the first time. Option B is not pleasant. Daniel has a story that needs to be told for people who are worried about the cost of obeying God and following what, what God's saying or obeying the world and the consequences that come from that, Daniel's testimony would be, obey God, leave the consequences up to him, he can protect you. Now somebody else might say, but that's not my story. That's the reason we need multiple stories. The opposite side of that would be Stephen, the first martyr who was stoned for the faith. He was caught between what the world told him to do and what he knew he had to do in Christ. And in his obedience, part of his final words were, behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. What a powerful testimony. Cornelius could testify, God hears our prayers and he can save your family. Joshua could testify, trust God at all times, he'll fight the battle for you. The disciples could testify, keep following Jesus. We've seen him calm storms and cast out demons and raise the dead and heal the sick and change the world. Testimonies are all throughout scripture of what God did in real time. So here, here's how we apply it in our lives. When sharing your testimony, I'm gonna give you five pieces and these are fast. Focus on God. While your testimony includes you, it's not about you. It's about what he has done in your life. Second piece, be authentic. Don't try to sugarcoat or exaggerate your story. Just share it, just share it. The next part of that is be simple. Don't try to be overly complex, and you don't have to give every detail of what's going on. I know people don't like it when I say this, but most stories can be captured in about five to seven minutes, the big pieces. 
And the reason I think that's important for us to understand is you might only get two to three minutes to share your story with somebody. And if they ask you, would you tell me more, then you got a lot of material to elaborate upon. But if you only think you can package your story in an hour presentation, you probably will not get a chance to share that story very often. Here's the next one. Be intentional. That's where this, this question is so important. How am I experiencing God in my life today? Ask that question over and over. The next one, be prayerful. When God shows you how he is at work, pray, Lord, as I go through my day, please give me opportunities to tell others what you're doing for me. And the last part is also important. Be brave. Testify when God gives you an opportunity to share. Sometimes God's opening up opportunities right and left, and we're just letting them slide by because we're concerned about what might happen in that moment. Here's how I've wanted this entire series to go. That by the time we get to this point, believers not only understand the importance of what it looks like to have a burden to see a difference between what Scripture says and the reality that we might see around us. Let that burden lead us to God in prayer. As we are with God in prayer, he will bring up areas in our life, sin and encumbrances that keep us from running the race. When he brings them up, repent, forsake, move away from them. As that happens, you will begin to see the manifest presence of the Holy Spirit more actively moving in your life. There's, there's not pieces that are interfering with what he desires to do. As that happens and God is moving, share the stories with others. By the time it gets to this point, we should only be able to say, it's only God. It's not about me. It's not about my church. It's not about something I did. The story that I share is a story that's only about him. I'm going to ask you, if you would, to bow with me for just a moment. His heads are bowed, eyes are closed for just a moment. We've come to the end of this series, and at this point, it can be one of those series that people either say, that had good information, I'll try to remember it, or it can be one of those moments where we say, God, would you help us to act upon what we know? I'm praying right now that this would be a time that we act. When we go through and we talk about the importance of story and the power of testimony and and putting reminders in our life in order to reflect upon the ways that God is at work in our lives, those moments should not just be in theory, it should be in practice. So I'm going to encourage you just the next few moments as our pastors and some of the pastors' wives are taking places at the front as the band is getting set for a final song, as some counselors are already along the front, would you take a few moments and ask God, where are you missing opportunities to testify? Ask God to remind you of areas of his faithfulness in your life. And as God begins to bring those things to mind, take that next step of obedience with him. So we're going to have a final word of prayer. There's going to be a final song that is sung. I just encourage you right now, don't let this series just move by you and miss some of the pieces of what God desires to do in your life. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask you, Lord, that you would use this moment 
May your spirit do something in this room that, that takes information from our head and begins to move it out through our feet. God, would you enable us to be great storytellers of all that you are doing in our life. God, give us courage. Help us to remember. And Lord, we'll thank you for what you do. In Jesus' name.